Hello and welcome to Learning from Leaders. Each episode, we interview a new leader for a behind-the-scenes look at what makes them tick. In each interview, we aim to understand the routines, habits, and even the failures that got them into the position they're in today. So wherever you are in your leadership journey, we hope you enjoy. Without further ado, this is Learning from Leaders. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Learning from Leaders. Today, I am lucky enough to be with Michael Davis, co-founder and CEO of APRIS. Michael, thank you so much for being here. You bet. I'm glad to do it. Awesome. Great. Um, well, so the first question I always like to ask, and you can kind of define this however you want to define mm-hmm. it, um, but how long have you been in a leadership role? Gosh, uh, this is this company wasn't the first company I started. Uh, um, I think right out of school, right out of college, I went to U of L. Um, I, I became kind of a leader at a small local company. I worked for a company, but it was small, mm-hmm. called Electronic Systems. And um, when I left, they had about seventy-five people, and I was in a leadership role over product and marketing. So I think I learned a lot there. Sure. Um, and then I had started a couple of companies that never got quite to scale before this one, and so uh, certainly was in a leadership role when I was doing that. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So the long tenure that we're we're, mm-hmm. we're digging into. Mm-hmm. Um, so a question that I'm always interested in, and feel free to get as in the weeds as you're mm-hmm. comfortable. But mm-hmm. how do you like to start your day? Do you have a routine? Do you have any ritual? Do you eat the same things? Do you like? Yeah. What, is it, what does it look like for you? I, I would say I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, boring. Uh, I, I'm pretty routine. <laughs> <laughs> I get up in the morning, and um, I, I like to, I like to do some exercise. I can't say I do it every single day, but two or three days a week, I'll either get up and do a short bike ride or do some kind of exercise. But then I'll I'll start my day with a cup of coffee, sitting with my wife, and talking for about a half an hour before I leave the house. Great. And we just that uh, we just have that cup of coffee and we do that. Uh, and then I grab my shake, which is usually my breakfast, and I get <laughs> in the car. And I think I start thinking about work on my way to uh, to uh, to to work right okay. i'm in that car ride and i i I'll, I'll either i might listen to npr or i might just have the the radio off and just be kind of thinking about what all i want to get done in the day so okay. Okay. Um, that's my first first moment of really trying to think about work okay okay great mm-hmm. great now if i were to just kind of uh look at let's say the past five years mm-hmm. what would you say are maybe the most um the beliefs behaviors habits that have affected you the, the most positively over the last five years our company uh you know started as a as a you know we began as a pure startup mm-hmm. and over the last five years we've gone through a tremendous amount of growth mm-hmm. um probably more growth in the last five years than we've had in the first uh, 20 years we were in mm-hmm. business right mm-hmm. uh we pro- went from maybe um maybe three or four hundred people to close to 900 now wow. um we've acquired some businesses uh, 10 different acquisitions over the last five years wow. so there's just been a lot of change and i think what um what I've really tried to focus on through that period is just getting our team comfortable with change, right? Mm-hmm. That that if you're going to grow, you, you're going to have things, you know, be different. And if that makes you uncomfortable, um, you know, you know, you, you know, there's nothing we can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. You, you got to learn to embrace change, mm-hmm. right? And really thrive on change and yeah. view it as an opportunity. And I really think um, human beings naturally fear it, and so what we've tried to focus on is to um, to embrace it and mm. use it and see it as an opportunity. It's a little bit about I, I think when you start your day, you can choose to be positive and think about the world in that way or or not. And when it comes to uh, whether it's your career or the work you're doing or the problems you're solving that moment in time, you just have to keep a positive light on it. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, and that's, that's 
that's what we think about around here. Okay. Have you, so just coming from an mm -hmm. organization that, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it's like lots of organizations where mm -hmm. there's been a lot of change in our organization change. as well. What, have you found any things that have really helped that process? Because I know, I mean, there's yeah. long courses on change management. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of things. Have you found any kind of things that have seemed to help with all that? Yeah, I, I think, um, uh, look, a lot of people, there's a lot you can do to be more organized. I think the key to change is communication, mm -hmm. um, trying to not only continue to talk about the good and the bad that's going on through those change periods, um, but also um, um, listening to people who are feeling the pain mm -hmm. of the change and trying to, even, even if you can't necessarily solve their problem, you can at least give them a sense that, that you're trying to listen to them and, and understand what those problems are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that you're, that's happening at every level in the organization. It needs to happen at the top. It also needs to happen at the middle and at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And um, but 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 in listening, you're also trying to take that feedback. But you're also trying to help them mentally just get through that that tough window, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think organizations in general, very few have the luxury of staying the same, right? If you if you're staying the same, you're falling behind in the world we live in, no matter whether you're a nonprofit or whether you're a for-profit company or a government entity, the world around us is changing really rapidly. And so what I've always tried to tell folks is, look, there is no such thing as we can just stay the same, right? If you stay the same, you're dying. And uh, if you're not growing and you're not, and you're not embracing change, then um, you, know, you, you can't solve your mission you're on can't help your customers or your constituents you can't uh, create opportunities for employees so um, it's it's more about just talking about talking mm -hmm. talking folks through it right there's a lot of structure around change that you can do to make it more disciplined and, e and easy but I think if I could say there's one key to it it's communication probably. okay mm -hmm. great awesome thank you mm -hmm. what about so I asked this question this way on purpose because maybe this mm -hmm. isn't your favorite book mm -hmm. but what is the book that you've given as a gift the most uh, the book I've probably um, given the most as a gift, uh, I, I, I have a couple of favorites. I have one called The Unbroken Brain, and it's about the opioid addiction crisis mm -hmm. and, and how, the, how, as a society, we, we have to rethink about that problem to get our way out of it. And I've given that book away a dozen times. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a book uh, that I also like to give um, uh, called uh, Next Time She'll Be Dead, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a book about um, uh, domestic violence. Again, if you think about APRIS, we started around helping victims of domestic violence. It's an issue I've always been really close to. And Next Time She'll Be Dead is kind of a well-known book within the victims community. And it really, again, dresses our view of domestic violence. And the number one question that gets asked and the worst question anyone can ask is, why doesn't she just leave, right? If it's so bad, why would she not leave? And this book really addresses that, and it does it through a lens of uh, a very famous case uh, uh, about an abuser in New York, and and he and his wife um, were in a very bad relationship that resulted, and they had a, a young 12-year-old daughter that lived with them, and ultimately the husband who was the abuser in the relationship was abusing his wife and the daughter. Eventually the daughter was killed. Mm -hmm. And they were both tried and both were convicted. And the book really dissects the relationship between the two of them and how his wife didn't start out a victim of domestic violence. She was a well-educated you know, young woman who over many years slowly evolved in that path. And, 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 and the question that gets called is at what point is she responsible? At what point is she just another victim who's lost control of her life? And, 
and uh, you know uh, that's a very um, a powerful book for me that I've given to a lot of people about that issue so those are the two I give out the most okay um, what about for you so how did you find work that you were passionate about I know that's something mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle with but mm-hmm. how, what did that look like for you you know, I've always been a passionate uh, person in general, and I think that's, uh, you know, it, when I talk to younger people, especially people in high school, about uh, what they want to do, and often they don't know the answer. And the number one thing I tell them is whatever it is, you've got to love it. You've got to think about it every day. You've got to, you got to, re- what, and, and, and if you're not passionate, then life's not really that fun, right? Mm. And I think so many people um, don't do that. I've, I always found stuff that I was passionate about. When I was younger, I was passionate about starting ideas and businesses Mm. and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like this I wasn't thinking about them because I wanted to go make a lot of money I was thinking about them because I loved the idea of solving a problem inventing an idea going out and figuring out how to continue to solve that problem and to me growing a company is just about solving lots of problems Mm -hmm. right and um, you know so uh, uh, early on what motivated us to start this particular company was the death of of Mary Byron, the the domestic violence murder here in Louisville. And, you know, I think the call to action for my partner, Jung Wynn, and myself was a news story with her parents the day after she's murdered. And what they're really saying is all we needed to know was a little bit of information and she would still be alive. And for us, that was a that was a call to action. I mean, we just felt their pain and 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 for all the wrong reasons, their daughter had been murdered. And, you know, we just thought there's a problem and Mm -hmm. we jumped on that and we had no idea that would result in a company we Mm -hmm. had no idea it would result in a a service that would get used all over the country and um but we were passionate about that problem in this community Mm -hmm. so were there any so obviously that's Mm -hmm. uh, you know there's there's so many things wrapped up in there Mm -hmm. and, and that desire to solve that problem were there other kind of early exposures maybe that you had that kind of led you towards the right direction you know yeah. what i mean were there were there other times because you had even mentioned some other companies yeah and things like that, i was right? always starting stuff like i can tell you in fifth grade i almost got kicked out of my fifth grade school because <laughs> i was uh i was myself and another guy had started renting comic books which is a weird <laughs> thing to do i mean people traded comic books what we would do is go out and buy all the best ones and we'd rent them out to people to read and they'd bring them back and they'd give us a nickel i don't remember them now but the problem was it got out of control, and we yeah. were doing it all over town, all over the school, <laughs> and it became a big enough deal that they came to us and said, "If you guys don't stop this, you know, we're calling your, you know." So, uh, but again, I don't think we were doing that necessarily to make money. We may have mm-hmm. had some of that in there. We were just thought it was a cool idea that somebody could pay us to go rent a comic book. Right. Um, you know, when I was at U of I was, I was, I guess I was always curious about things, and uh, the businesses I started before also had something to do with technology. I started a software company that was trying to, you know, it, you know. It, I look back and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but like when personal computers were just launching in the mid '80s, yeah. my view was they were so expensive because they were at the time right. that we'd all be sharing them. Mm. Right now, that shows my lack of vision because now they're <laughs> everywhere. Right. But at that time, it felt like, wow, we're going to have a few of these. My high school had one. Mm. Uh, my first place I went to work, we had a few. Mm. Uh, and, and people would come and shoot, use them. And I thought, well, we've got to have ways to secure the data where my files can't get looked at by you, et cetera. Mm. So I developed a piece of software called MicroLock, and me and a partner went out and tried to sell it. And by the time we started to get any traction, it was obvious we were wrong about the core assumption. Everybody's mm. going to have a computer, right? You're not mm. going to, and, and there's lots of ways to solve the problem. And mm. so we lost money and wasted a year or two, but, you know, it was an experience. 
And, uh, you know, I, d I had a couple of other things like that that never really were very thought out to scale. Mm. But, but, but look, we didn't, we didn't plan this one out. This got to be a really great company. We didn't know that when we started. And uh, I always tell people, I think it takes three things. I think you have to have, you have to have a good idea. You have to work really hard, but there's a lot of people with good ideas that work really hard and mm -hmm. they just don't get that break. I think you also have to have some luck. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, if you don't have all three in some amount, yeah. uh, it's hard to survive starting a business. Yeah. Really. What about, so that's, that's, that's really fun and interesting mm -hmm. like uh, road for mm -hmm. sure. Um, how did you, when you were at those kind of crossroads, mm -hmm. was, there, was there indicators that said, it's time to move on to the next thing because again, yeah. if, if this is this, if this is passion thing and I'm trying to discover it and I I think this is it yeah like how's it time to I think that's instinct and I think entrepreneurs who do well uh, this is something that I, I was told once by David Jones senior who was an early investor in Apris and he said you're gonna reinvent your business lots of times mm -hmm. and he said it's it's people who can figure it out and his his story he told me he said look when he and Wendell started Humana, it was a it was a company that was doing nursing homes, mm -hmm. and they 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 eventually decided, hey, nursing homes aren't where we need to be. It's going to be hospitals, and eventually that became insurance. And each of those were major points in that company where they could have stayed where they were safely, right? Uh, but the pivot was important, and 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 I don't know how to tell somebody they know when to do that because sure. it is it is really I think instinct to know, you know not to give up too early, mm -hmm. but knowing when it's time to make some kind of a big transition or a shift. And we've done that at APRIS. I mean, we've had a lot of those times during the last 25 years where we've had to make big kind of game-changing decisions. And I think uh, to some extent that is leadership, is knowing when you're ready to make that call because there's no way to know if you're right. right. Uh, I think most entrepreneurs have a lot of what I call inner confidence. They believe they're right all the time. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> Uh, I, I can tell you the guy who started the company with me, he was the same. I mean, you know, you just have such confidence and things that, and, and the truth is you're not right all the time. A mm -hmm. uh, question I always like to ask yeah. is, um, what would you say, did you, do you have a favorite failure? Uh, yes, I do. I, uh, um, it was an epic failure and it happened five years into the business and um, our company was at that time focused on one product, which was our victim notification product. And we were growing nicely and steadily, and we were making money, and we had about 90 people. And around 2000, we were in the middle of whatever, what you may not remember, but the world remembers is the dot-com bubble, mm -hmm. right? Every little company that had anything to do with the internet was getting lots of money raised for them. And uh, the investors were throwing money at small ideas. And we had investors coming to us, and we decided to make a run at taking a bunch of money from investors and going out and expanding beyond notifying victims. We were going to notify when people's pizza was delivered. We were going to notify when your airline was late. We were going to, we were going to be a notification company. And so we took a bunch of investor money. We went out and took our 90 people and turned it into 150 people within three months or four months. And we just got out of control. We, 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 uh, we started spending money like crazy and we had a bunch of people that didn't really understand who we were and where we'd come from, and they were trying every little idea. There, there, it, it was like 150 people working all of a sudden, uh, but nobody pulling in one direction. There was no clear mission around what we were doing, and we were spending money. And, and about six months after we had raised all that money, the world fell apart because the dark-com bubble became the 
became the dot-com busted bubble. Mm. And suddenly the economy was in recession and companies weren't spending money. And, and so we had to make a tough call uh, a year after we'd raised all that money. And we said, look, we've got to get back to knowing what we do. And we retrenched. We had to get rid of about 50 or 60 people who we had hired along that way. And that, that we didn't get rid of them because they did anything wrong or they weren't talented people. We got rid of them because we made that mistake. And so we sat down and I sat down with every single one of them and, and walked through what was going on. And, you know, there's no worse feeling I'd ever had to that moment in my life than sitting in front of a really good person and saying, hey, you're going to lose your job because of something we did wrong. And it's a mistake we took. You know, we just really learned from it. And uh, we haven't repeated that since. And, and we hopefully won't. It's just made us be much more thoughtful about how we're going to take on big, aggressive expansions like that. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a really tough mm-hmm. lesson. That was, to a, that was a tough sure. one, but it's one you learn from. Yeah. So what about sort of your biggest decisions when they're sitting right in front of you? How do you do that? Do you have a process? Do you have a way that you yeah, approach those? I, I, I tell you what I've always believed is uh, great leaders um, understand they're self-aware. They know what great leaders know what they're good at, but they also know what they're not good at. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my case, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm easy. I, I'm, a, I'm a decision maker. I'll always be quick to make a decision. I won't make it with nearly enough information at times. So I... <laughs> I tend to put people around me who are very thoughtful and detail-oriented, and they're, you know, uh, uh, another David Jones story. David said he and Wendell were a great pair because he was the gas pedal and Wendell was the brake. Mm. And you do have to have that type of team balance. Mm. And so, uh, you know, when those big decisions come, uh, at the end of the day, I don't mind making the call. I do like to have a, a team around me to hear a lot of different opinions about the call. And at the end of the day, somebody's got to make it, and I, I, I don't mind that being me. But um, uh, left to my own accord, I would, I'd probably move way too fast and too <laughs> reckless. You know? But I think that's something you know about yourself. And sure. If you do know it, you can manage that. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, to have that awareness, too, mm-hmm. is, I think, a, a I really think important thing. I think that's really important, and that's not just important for the leader. I think that's important for everybody. Mm-hmm. Know what you're great at, know what you're not great at, and figure out how to get other people to help you with that. Right. right? That's, a, that's a good life lesson. Yeah. Um, what about uh, when you started your leadership journey? If you were kind of reflecting back right at the beginning, mm-hmm. what do you wish that you had known then? Mm. You know, I, I, I think um, my earliest leadership was just me being taking initiative, right? And I would, I would just take on things that nobody asked me to take on. I wanted to learn and I wanted to uh, ask a million questions and, and you kind of became a leader by de facto uh, I think my earliest things that I wish I could go back and redo, um, I never really spent very much time developing people. Mm-hmm. So even people on my team, uh, uh, I would say, and I, I would say this is still something I'm not great at. Um, uh, I, I, I can bring people together in a team and I can, we, can, we can go to work together. If, if they're not great and what they need is somebody to help mentor them and bring mm-hmm. them along, I've never been that focused on that and mm-hmm. I've never been that great at that. Um, and so if I could go back and get something and redo it in my career, it would be to, uh, to go back and learn how to uh, help people who maybe are great people, but they're not quite where they, they need some mentoring and, mm. and be a better mentor. Mm. I don't think I've ever done that well. Mm. People who have succeeded around me are probably just super talented people, and I picked <laughs> the right ones. And, and, and if I picked somebody who's not super talented, um, their chances that I'm going to make them get there are probably mm-hmm. pretty low. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that would be something I wish I could have done better along yeah. the way. Yeah. Well, picking talented people is not so bad. No, if you if you get if you get it right, and um, you know that was another another David. I guess I'm I'm sounding like I learned a lot from David Jones, but I did. I didn't. I, every time I was exposed to him, I really mm-hmm. listened to him. And one of the things he said is, "Look, 
impossible to hire great people all the time. Mm -hmm. The important thing is to quickly decide if they are or not, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. if they're not, they need to go find someplace else that's best for them and you. Right. Right. And, and you need to keep looking until you get that great, great right. team. So what about, let's say that someone forgot all of the great wisdom that you've shared today. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one thing that a leader should never forget? That's not about you. I think the important thing about leaders are they shouldn't be all thinking about themselves and talking about themselves. It's about the mission and the team. And, and, um, and, and you know, when you see leaders that, that, that are, and look, we've got all kinds of examples around this. I won't get into politics and I won't get into, but, but you can see um, there, there are unique people Stephen Jobs, right? Really, I think phenomenal genius. But when I think about him, and you and you really study him as a, a leader in the organization, he was a guy who was revered and feared, right? Mm. And I think um, there are much better examples of leaders in the world where you know they are their team follows them because they're inspired, right? Mm. They're not following them because they fear them, right? Mm -hmm. Leaders have success all kinds of ways. There are plenty of leaders who you can find in history who were successful because they just drove people to succeed, right? Um, you know, to me, if, if, if you're starting out and trying to shape your career as a leader, um, you know, lead by example, lead, lead for the team. And uh, with that said, that doesn't mean it's a democracy. I mean, mm -hmm. you've gotta be the one that's making the call and bringing people along with you. But uh, do it through inspiration, not you know um, intimidation, mm. right? It'd be what I would say. Mm. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I so mm -hmm. appreciate it. We're Absolutely. so lucky to have you, and thanks a bunch. Well, thank you for all the work you guys do. <laughs> I mean, you guys do an amazing resource in, in the in the community, and uh, the more I learn about what the work you do, the more inspired I am about it. You, you know, it's, you, you you know, I always have thought we've had a great mission. You guys have as good a mission as any organization I've seen. So, congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again to our special guest. This has been Learning from Leaders. Thank you.